0: are entering the freedom hut. The
1: Trump economy continues to roar despite the deep state efforts to pull down this president. He's doing a fantastic job making sure that America is prosperous and helping America be as great as it can be. We'll get into latest jobs numbers also. Where does spygate stand? How deep did the spying go? We've got that and much more coming up Freestyle Friday on the Buck Sexton show.
2: This is the Buck
0: Sexton show.
2: Where the mission Your mission, is to decode what really matters
0: with actionable intelligence.
3: One, all, make, make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again.
2: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former
3: CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
1: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
2: What people are witnessing is that the agenda that President Trump ran on and that we've been delivering on over the last two years is working for every American. I mean, this jobs report, 263,000 jobs in the month of April and, and the lowest unemployment rate in nearly 50 years is simply a confirmation of what the president has said all along. You let Americans keep more of what they earn. You cut taxes on individuals and businesses. You roll back federal red tape. You unleash American energy. You fight for the kind of trade deals that put American jobs and American workers first. That the American economy would come roaring back, and we're witnessing it. And it's uh, it's truly inspiring. A first quarter number of 3.2 percent after eight years under Obama and Biden, where we saw less than two percent economic growth. Uh, This is a great day for America, and uh, it's all a result of the leadership that President Trump's been advancing on the economy. Great day for America, bad day for the
1: libs. Libs, the left-wing media, they're getting owned right now by reality of this economy. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, folks. The Drudge Report says it well today. Envy of the world. Unemployment, 49-year low. That's right, we have the Lowest unemployment rate since 1969. Wages hits uh, $27.77 an hour. Stock market is in a huge rally. Trump approval, let us Paul here says 50 percent. Boom. The country is in fact booming. Things are going well. We are not in the midst of a of a uh, you know series of major terrorist attacks on the homeland we are not in the middle of a grinding war where we're losing you know dozens of Americans a month hundreds of casualties a month we're not uh, you know digging out from some terrible economy or you know anemic economic growth or country is doing well and yet the the narrative you hear from most of the press from most of the media is that there's a threat to our democracy. Oh, my gosh, there's a threat to our democracy right now. What, is the, is the super low unemployment making them tr- triggered? Is it make them really sad that people are, are getting jobs? That the tax cuts worked? That, um, you know, that the reality of the economy is undeniable and that it's going well? They can hate on Trump all they want, but they were saying that Trump was going to crater the economy. They can't handle it, folks. It's morning in America, and our, our jobs are great. Our, our and Look, I, we got problems. The border's a mess. I tell you the problems all the time. We have to balance it out sometime. You're not going to hear from, from 95% of the media anything positive about what's going on in the country right now that's attributed to Trump. Maybe it's even more than 95%. So sometimes I have to take a moment. I, you know, the, When the numbers come in, we look at what's going on. We really want to put Bernie Sanders in charge? I mean, that's supposed to be the answer now?
4: We're going to make sure that unemployment starts to, to, to go up. We're going to make sure your taxes go up. We're going to make sure that, you know, you can't have a prosperous future because somebody else might not have a prosperous future, and that's not fair. So you're going to have to be poor.
1: They're going to have to be poor. That's better for everybody. Does anyone really think that's a good idea? I mean, look at these Democrats. What, what are they? What are they complaining about? I, I keep saying this to my liberal friends. You're also—they're all so upset. They're also, oh my gosh, Trump! It's so terrible. What's so terrible? And the things that I think are terrible: the border's bad, healthcare costs are too high, college is too expensive. There's too much public debt. There's too much—you uh, know—money that we've promised to pay back that we're not going to be able to pay back. I mean, there are problems. I talk about them a lot, but they're not like. Dire, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? And what has Trump done to us? Problems. Oh no, Trump. These people are hysterical and not in a ha ha way, in a calm down way. You know? Some of them need to have a glass of Chardonnay and a Zanny, although don't mix those, that's bad. Um, but you know, they need to they need to calm down. They need to chill out. Things are good. But you know, actually what you realize is that there is a large contingent of the Democratic Party that is actively rooting against America at this point. There's a large contingent of the Democratic Party and the left who would like to see more suffering because they want Trump to fail. And what Trump has promised is prosperity and sanity in our government. He's promised a common-sense approach to stop with all the ideologically driven craziness about the economy, not to allow this to become a more socialist country, not to allow Marxism and social justice and identity politics to take over. And because he's taken that approach and because things are going well, guess what? Guess what's happening? Things are going going in a very positive direction and the Libs hate that. They hate it. They look bad. The Paul Krugmans of the world, the New York Times editorial board, the Washington Post, the... You know, they were they were saying that this was going to be a complete disaster, and how how foolish all these all these Trump rednecks across the country, you know, all, all of the people that voted, people like you and me who voted for Trump, oh, we're such fools, really. Um, apparently not. Apparently we're actually doing a really good job, or we, you know, Trump is doing a really good job, and we did a good job by voting for him. Uh, I, I think that you know if anything the mainstream media owes us a bit of an apology oh it's an apology we're never going to get don't get me wrong and they have no they have no interest whatsoever absolutely none in making this right in trying to understand how was it that and, and many of you listen to the show I, I give you full credit you saw it early in the primary you said you got you just gotta under there's something here with Trump there's something that's changed it's not perfect. He hasn't fulfilled all the promises. We don't have a wall, I know. But the single most important thing for most Americans when it comes to the government, well, protect my individual rights and my property and you know, adhere to the Constitution. Let's have the economy be strong too. Let's have people able to feed themselves, feed their families, pay their rent, pay their mortgage. And let's not have government get in the way. How do they explain this? Well, what the Democrats have put so much stock in this Russia collusion fairy tale, which was such a fraud, such a farce. And there's been really very little from them on the economy. All they talk about is the tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for the rich. Actually, it was a tax cut for everybody who really pays taxes, almost everybody who pays taxes. It's hard to give people a tax cut if they don't pay the income tax, which is half the country, so start with that. But of the people who pay taxes, a vast majority did get a cut. So they have more money. That's a bad thing now. Democrats oppose that. Look what it's doing to the economy. What is the narrative of why things need to change? What is the narrative the Democrats can really offer for there needs to be a switch in the trajectory of the politics of this country because of what? I, I mean, it's, you hear crickets chirping. I mean, this is why they can't really figure out who their candidate's going to be or what they're going to do. Because there is no easy narrative. If, if the economy continues as is, if we, we just keep moving this direction, Trump will crush any Democrat who runs against him. I'm very confident in that. If we get a cyclical downturn, heaven forbid, it's going to be tough. Because then the narratives that they tell start to make sense. Oh, Trump is a corporatist and he's, he just wants to help the billionaires and the millionaires and all this stuff. And even though we know that that's just claptrap, that's just talking points from the left, It resonates when people are feeling the pain, but when people are feeling the good stuff, which is what we're seeing right now, that stuff doesn't resonate at all. All this socialism talk from the left. I I think I'd rather have everyone getting higher wages, getting good jobs, and not being constantly lectured about how they didn't build that, how they didn't earn that, how they need to give more to the government, the government's the reason for their success, all this stuff. It's time to change the approach. Trying uh, to change the approach from what the Democrats offer up here day to day for why they should get votes because it's not working. It's not working. So i just here to tell you 49-year low in unemployment. It's the best unemployment number since 1969. Donald Trump is president. The country is prospering. We have not started some war we didn't need to fight. We do not have You know, some terrible security, you know, imminent security threat that threatens the very foundations of this country. We're not in the midst of a recession. We're not in the midst of deep civil discord, other than the Democrats being crazy and Trump deranged. Things are good. Maybe Democrats should just say, Thank you, President Trump. May we have another four years? I think so. Stay with me.
3: America is a nation of believers, right? The prayers of religious believers helped gain our independence and the prayers of religious leaders like the Reverend Martin Luther King, great man, helped win the long struggle for civil rights. Faith has shaped our families and it's shaped our communities. It's inspired our commitment to charity and our defense of liberty. And faith has forged the identity and the destiny of this great nation that we all love. You often hear
1: Democrats, libs, attack people of faith for their support of Donald Trump. And there's, there's a real, that, that was all from the National Prayer Breakfast yesterday. Uh, and there's a very clear tone of a kind of condescension as though people who are, Uh, traditional Christians uh, who are conservative Orthodox uh, Jews or just people of of, of any faith tradition that want the kind of religious freedom and respect uh, that is much more likely to come from the right than you'll see on the left these days. And the left is people that talk about tolerance all the time but who are deeply intolerant, especially when it comes to religious belief. Uh, at least non-Islamic religious belief. The only religion that they really want—they run interference for and will defend and will downplay any any negative side of Islam. But uh, anything that's Judeo-Christian, they have a—they'll—they'll they'll have a problem with. Uh, the left has issues with it. You know, militant atheism is overwhelmingly found on on the left, and or maybe you'd say strident atheism is is overwhelmingly found on the left. Uh, but they speak in these sneering, snide tones about those people of faith, especially evangelicals, who supported Trump. did you even hear about the National Prayer Breakfast and what Trump said? No, of course, the media had no interest in this at all. They wanted to take video of a fried chicken bucket at the Capitol building because Bill Barr didn't want to show up for the complete circus the Democrats had planned for him. And... Oh, by the way, there's there's a new there's a new effort now to get rid of Barr. They want the uh the DC Bar, or I'm sorry, the DC and Virginia Bar Association to investigate him. You know, they had to come up with yet yet another way to try and sully Barr's reputation, make him seem like he's done something wrong. I mean, I just barr is, you know, I don't get excited about people. And look, I don't know if he's a nice guy or not, although I know people that work for him and say excellent things about him. Um, say he's just a totally squared away solid dude. And, you know, I hope that anybody who ever worked with me, if they were asked, that's what they'd say about me. If they said Buck's a squared away solid dude, I'd be very happy. I try. Uh, But, you know, Barr is such the right man for this moment in time. I mean, you need somebody who's a real, uh, almost a ringer in this role, somebody who really understands the ins and outs, who's been there before, who's not going to get shaken up by the left's efforts to just destroy him. I mean, they're just trying to destroy him. They want the bar Association investigator him now. Nancy Pelosi's saying he lied, saying he broke the law. But Nancy Pelosi's a disgrace, I and mean, she's, an, she's an idiot. Very powerful idiot, but she's an idiot. Anyway, back to uh, the National Prayer Breakfast. You know, the, the media wanted to show you stuff about Barr. They didn't want to talk about what Trump was saying. But, you know, Trump speaks of faith and and makes it clear that he is a friend to religious freedom he's a friend to traditional christians and will have it and has had an administration that stands up for uh, those who are religious and and believe in the expression of their religion and not being confined to private practice i mean that there can be some religion in, in the public square and i just think that trump has done a pretty good job on this one you know, I, would I say that Trump himself seems like a particularly uh, stern, uh, strongly religious guy? I mean, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for the man. Uh, obviously, his background and some of his habits would not. But, you know, but who am I to cast the first stone on, on these things? And I'm, I'm not here to judge. I guess I kind of am because I'm a radio talk show host. But you know what I'm saying? I think the guy's, you know, he's made some choices that I wouldn't have made. He's done some things that I wouldn't have approved of, but he's also done a lot of amazing things. Thank you for beating Hillary Clinton. Start with that. Um, but he's a friend to he's a friend to evangelicals, and he's and obviously his vice president Mike Pence is certainly a friend to traditional and uh, believing Christians. Uh, so I, I think that despite all the condescension from the left about this issue, saying, "Oh, Donald Trump, the the billionaire playboy with three wives," he's He's going to stand up for evangelical Christians, you know, across the country and and in the Bible Belt. Actually, yeah, he is. So those who voted for him under that, well, under that agreement, in a sense, they weren't being foolish. They were being there. They, they had foresight, not foolishness. They were right. Uh, one more thing here from the Prayer Breakfast. You know, there was this uh, this terrible uh, synagogue shooting recently. I just wanted to hear from uh, Rabbi Goldstein uh,
0: on this one. Play clip eight. My life has changed forever, but it changed so I could make change. And I could help others learn how to be strong. Many have asked me, Rabbi, where do we go from here? If something good could come out of this terrible, terrible, horrific event, let us bring back a moment of silence to our public school system. Moment
1: of silence to the public school system. Reflection, quiet contemplation thinking about what really matters, thinking about what we all value. Are we really to think that a moment of silence should be banned because it could be a time when people pray? Do we really want to make the assumption that silent prayer to oneself is somehow a violation of the church and state separation? Uh, I don't know how many of you saw this, but it's worth it if you have not seen. The video's been making the rounds of a uh, recent siren that played in Israel for uh, a Holocaust remembrance for the six million Jews who were uh, murdered, exterminated in the Holocaust. And there's video of, of Israelis all around the country stopping what they're doing for two minutes while a siren blares for a moment of silence. You know, it's important that we all take a moment, whether it's day to day or, you know, whether it's just in church on Sunday or whenever you celebrate your uh, religious beliefs, whenever you go to service, it is important to think about what matters. And perhaps some of the, the trials and tribulations that we've seen in this country of late are just a reminder of how we need to be willing to take a step back and focus on that, on that big picture, even if just for a few moments. It can bring tremendous clarity. So I understand, I think, what that rabbi, uh, why he has that entreaty, why he'd like to see a moment of silence come back into, into public schools. Uh, there's something more than just the day-to-day and whatever that means for you, it's important, to, uh, it's important to keep that in your mind and in your, in your heart. Uh, we're gonna run a quick break here. We come back, we got a lot of Spygate Russia stuff to get into, so uh, team, stick around. After a childhood full of unsuccessful attempts to pull the wool over mom's eyes, do you really think she won't be able to tell the difference between a last minute mother's gift and something truly thoughtful? This Mother's Day, don't settle for anything less than the biggest and brightest bouquets from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers has amazing offers on beautiful Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements, starting at $29.99. With an amazing selection of sweet treats and bouquets, 1-800-Flowers has everything you need for Mother's Day. She'll never guess how great of a last-minute deal you scored mother's day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99 is an amazing offer but you have to order today so make sure you lock in this offer only good while supplies last to order beautiful and vibrant mother's day bouquets starting at $29.99 it's a great deal go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck one more time 1-800-Flowers.com slash
3: buck Mr.
5: President that came up in the Mueller report with Mr. Putin today? We
3: discussed it. He actually uh, sort of smiled when he said uh, something to the effect that it started off as a mountain and it ended up being a mouse. But he knew that because he knew there was no collusion whatsoever. Uh, so uh, pretty much that's what it was. Did you it, tell it started off. Excuse me. I'm talking. I'm answering this question. You are very rude. So we had a good conversation about many different things, okay?
1: <laughs> you are very rude. I think I think it's, uh, you know, it's good that sometimes Trump throws a, a high pitch over the plate to brush somebody back a little bit when they're getting on him. You know, let, let the President of the United States speak. There is far greater comfort with interrupting this president than you saw with President Obama. Oh, my gosh, you remember? If a journalist asked President Obama a question that was, in any way uh, challenging, it was. Oh, how dare you! That tone sounded so racist. We we hear about we used to hear about that all the time. I remember this. I have not forgotten the way that they were the way that journalists interacted with and were expected by one another to interact with Obama versus the way they act with with Trump. Uh, but he's correct here when he says that this is really about scale. And that's where the the primary exaggeration comes in. I mean, that's where you really see that you can't trust the Democrats on this stuff at all. Uh, they have acted all along like Russia collusion was a much bigger deal than it was. And because they've magnified it so much in their own perception and tried to magnify it in the public's perception, Trump gets frustrated. And that's why he says, I don't know who to believe or whatever, because he he understands that They want to talk about Russian interference. The reason it it resonates so much with Democrats and their left-wing base is because it's a way of saying that Trump didn't really win. Okay, That's what they're saying. Trump didn't really win the election. Trump cheated or someone cheated on Trump's behalf. So he understandably gets frustrated by this. But you see this with the Mueller probe, with the way the press... Badgers him about Russia stuff. His agitation at being unfairly maligned, at being ambushed by people in all these different ways, his agitation itself is considered evidence of some kind of insidious behavior on his part. You know, He's a bad guy because he gets mad. Look, they did the same thing to Kavanaugh. I haven't forgotten that. Kavanaugh got upset at women trying to lie about him and ruin his life and ruin his career. And and you know destroy him in front of his family and in front of tens of millions of Americans who are watching, and because he was upset at those lies, oh, well, clearly he's guilty. I'm sorry, innocent people that are accused of things they didn't commit get get upset. President Trump has become upset at many points along the way, because this whole thing, this whole Russia collusion storyline, was a lie, and we we know that we've known it for a long time, and the Mueller probe has known it for a very long time, but they kept going, they kept pushing. And now that he's talking to Putin, what's the same thing? Is he going to tell him not to meddle in the next election? Think of what a stupid, a stupid commentary this really is on our press that there you know, did you tell him not to meddle? Would it matter if he did? Putin denies that there was meddling, or that he that he certainly denies that he ordered any Russian meddling in the election. You, you know d- does it mean that he's not they wouldn't do it again because Trump says to him, don't do it. Come on. No, no one really thinks that, right? But this is also how the standard is always set so that Trump is a Putin lackey, no matter what he does. And because he's not willing to spit in Putin's face and slap him, they're saying that he's effectively doing Putin's bidding. Because he's not willing to uh, abandon any kind of relationship with a a head of state of a very important country that we have no ability to to just cordon off and ignore. They act like he's doing his bidding. This is this is the game they play. This is why when he kind of slaps them down a little bit, I I appreciate what he's doing. I get it. I think it's the uh, the right way. And this is also when he when he defends himself. I mean, I I would agree. He has been tougher on Russia than the Obama administration was. And any honest person sees that. Play clip thirteen.
3: I don't think I've spoken to him about the twenty twenty, but I certainly have told him you can't do what you're doing and. Uh... I don't believe they will be. I don't believe they will. Have
5: you been very firm with the Russian president on that so. point? I think
3: so. I think I have been. I think nobody's done more about Russia than I have. President Obama in September, before the November election, my November election, uh, if you look, he was told by the FBI mm-hmm. and others about Russia. He did nothing about it. What could he have done? Well, he could have done something. I mean, he could have called out the troops and he could have said, let's look at this very closely. He did absolutely nothing because he thought that Crooked Hillary was going to win the election and she didn't even come close so it's just one of those things you know and that had nothing to do by the way with Russia because everybody said it didn't affect the vote you've heard that many times didn't affect the vote but I don't want Russia or anybody else playing around with our elections Trump is right Trump is correct when he says that the
1: Obama administration made a political calculation to be silent about these Russian interference efforts because they thought Hillary was going to win. I'm sorry, that was, you know, that was the way the Democrats wanted to play it, and the results are the results. That was Obama's call. And it was the right call at the time, I would note, because the Russian interference wasn't that important. It, they knew it wasn't going to matter. They only pretended that it mattered when Hillary lost because they couldn't believe that Hillary would lose. You know, for, for a whole slew of particularly feminist Democrat boomers, uh, Hillary's loss is some kind of a, a blow to their psyche from which they will never recover. You know, they really thought that Hillary's elevation to president for eight years would be a kind of return to the glories of the Clinton 90s and whatever that means. And and it would be the ultimate breaking through of the glass ceiling and all this stuff. And, and you know, the, the truth is that Hillary is a nasty, selfish, narcissistic, crooked person. And Trump bested her. And those who had invested so much of their own identity and their sense of their own worth in Hillary's coronation, you know, they should learn not to look at politics that way. I mean, they should understand that we just want politicians who can do a good job. We want politicians who follow the Constitution and are competent in their roles. I'm not looking for a politician who makes me feel like I'm more you know, self-actualized, like I, I'm becoming the person that I've always been meant to be because this person is in office or something. People get way too invested personally in, in how this stuff goes, and that's a big part of Trump's arrangement syndrome is that Trump's defeat of Hillary, people feel like it's a rejection of how they view themselves and the and the role that politics plays in their own you know affirmation of self and and their own awesomeness one way or the other uh, but he's right about Russia he's right about how you know the media is being unfair to him and all this stuff and I just I just would like to see at some point a a full accounting for just how much the media you know people will pull this together there's data out there but but how much the media really did pretend that the president of the United States committed treason, and then we were gonna find that out any day now. Because that, that was the narrative. They can try to shift it as much as they want now. And you know, to that end, about the the shifting shifty shift, about the shifting narrative, um, on the spying issue. Uh, we're gonna have Kim Strassel joining us here in a few minutes. She's been great. I mean, some of the best voices and and authors. Analysts on this whole Spygate issue have been, they're friends of mine, Andy McCarthy, Kim Strassel, my main man Dan Bongino, uh, Sean Davis over at The Federalist, Molly Hemingway over at The Federalist. The Federalist has probably done better work as a website on Spygate and Russia collusion than any other one I can think of. And they've they've been right all along, Uh, but now we have to get into what really happened in terms of the spying and this this is an area where i'm going to try to weigh in pretty heavily because i know the games that the democrat left security state folks are going to try to play here i know the kind of stuff that they're going to say and and the ways that they're going to make it seem like what happened here was not completely out of control it it was it was out of control uh it was wrong it was deeply wrong and even the vice president got in on it this week by saying, "Look, uh, there's obviously stuff that went on here
2: that was really, a, really a problem." Um, play clip twelve. It's very offensive to me. At a time when we were beginning the process of organizing our government, nine days after the election, these two disgraced FBI agents were actually corresponding about sending a counterintelligence guy. I think that's what a CI guy is. To my intelligence briefing, while we're trying to form a government, while I'm getting briefed on everything that's happening around the world, just as the president was, so we're preparing Mm. to take the reins on January 20th. Look, the American people aren't going to tolerate this. We, we, We put out all the facts on the table, no collusion, no obstruction, but now the American people have a right to know how all this started, and if the law was violated, those people need to be held accountable. Absolutely. Just think of what the vice president said there,
1: though. Step back for a moment. The FBI wanted to put a spy in the vice president's intelligence briefings to see if they could figure out some way to get information about the collusion that was fake, that didn't even happen I mean, Does the FBI, is the FBI at the senior level, the people involved, are they just incapable of embarrassment? That's a word we should hear a lot more of. The media should be embarrassed by the Spygate debacle that they perpetuated. The FBI, the DOJ, as institutions, should be embarrassed about their role in all of this. Humiliated at their stupidity. Ashamed of their partisanship. Those aren't words you hear. That's not, no, no, no. They, they think that they were you know, the guardians of the republic. They think they were doing great stuff for America. They've been right all along. I mean, there's still people who are clinging to the Russia collusion narrative in these places. It's astonishing. It's a total outrage. But, you know, people, a lot of people believe what they want to believe. It doesn't matter what facts you present them with, it doesn't matter how damaging their delusions are. They would just rather cling to them and feel safe and warm in their craziness. that's where the Democratic Party is.
5: Should the former vice president explain himself on his dealings in Ukraine and whether there was a conflict?
3: Yeah, I hear it's a very serious business interest. I'm hearing it's a major scandal, major problem, Mm -hmm. very bad things happened. And we'll see what that is. And they even have him on tape talking about it. They have Joe Biden on tape talking about the prosecutor. And I've seen that tape. A lot of people are talking about that. tape, But that's up for them. They have to solve that problem.
1: Biden is not going to last as the Democrat frontrunner. I've been telling you that for a long time. I feel very confident in this prediction. And if Biden is their nominee, Trump is going to win by, even, by an even wider margin than he beat Hillary Clinton. Though those are my, we, we can mark this one down. That is my prediction for you from the very beginning. If Biden is their nominee, not only will Trump win, he will increase his margin of victory from 2016 in terms of the Electoral College. Uh, Biden's got some issues and actually my colleague at the Hill, John Solomon, has been uh, a thorn in Biden's side doing some investigative reporting on this. The, The basics of the story are as follows that that Biden may have fired a prosecutor or sorry, Biden may have used pressure over a U.S. loan guarantee to the government of Ukraine to get them to fire a corruption prosecutor. Who was looking at a company in Ukraine that was making some big payoffs to Biden's uh, son? In you know for for And uh, this would be a possible violation of a whole bunch of things. I think foreign corrupt practices, maybe. I mean, you know, if nothing else, it's just corruption. I mean, it's just outright. Uh, you know, talking about you're, now you're meddling in a foreign country for the benefit of, of yourself or your, or your family and using the powers of your office to do so. The United States government, that's a big no, no. So that's a problem that Biden's going to have to deal with and explain. And, my, and I, from what I'm told, and I, I work with John Solomon every day, uh, they've got the documentation. I mean, they've already got on the record a, a senior law. I think it's the equivalent of the attorney general in Ukraine has said, yeah, this this is this is real. Uh, The payments were made and this guy was fired. And, you know, at one point Biden bragged at a Council on Foreign Relations meeting. CFR, the Illuminati, you know, Council on Foreign Relations. uh, They he he bragged about how he got this prosecutor, corruption prosecutor fired. So there are going to be some issues there. The other story that John actually broke yesterday, though, had to do with the uh, someone who is tied to the DNC asking for the Ukrainian government, to give dirt on Paul Manafort? You know, given everything that we have been told, everything that has been said about, oh, how could you sit with somebody who is Russian? They always play games with the suit. They They say that Veselnitskaya at the Trump Tower meeting was the Russian government. That's not true. She has ties to the Russian government, but she was just a Russian lady who said that she had information about Hillary. And, you know, what if she said... That, uh, that she had information. What if she was for real and had information about how Hillary Clinton had received a $10 million wire transfer to you know, do some favor for the Russian government when she was Secretary of State? What if that were... The, would we not want the information to, to get out then? Well, should they not have taken that meeting? This is a stupid point people make. Oh, they should have never taken the meeting and called the FBI. That's bull. That's revisionist nonsense. But John broke this story where it was, uh, you know, the the, the basics of it are that somebody tied to the DNC was asking the Ukrainian government for uh, dirt on Paul Manafort. Well, that's a foreign government, folks, and you're asking for opposition research from that foreign government on behalf of the Hillary campaign. That's collusion with the foreign government, isn't it? They were asking, I think it was the, the, uh, the embassy, the embassy, uh, Ukrainian embassy, this is a problem. Christopher Steele was a foreigner. He was using Russian subsources. All, that's all foreign. That's all foreign interference, the election. That's on, that's on record. That's a fact. Clinton campaign folks paid, and the DNC paid for that information. That doesn't make it better. That makes it worse, if anything. The only real collusion with foreigners in the election, involved the Hillary Clinton campaign. And of course, they're media lackeys, but we're not allowed to talk about that, not supposed to see that. Kim Strassel coming up, everybody, stay with me.
3: How did this whole investigation start? Because I think it's corrupt as hell, and I think what's happened between Comey and McCabe Hmm. and uh, Brennan and all of these people.
5: If you take Director Comey out of the equation, and his actions in 2016 and 2017. Would the country be where it is today?
3: I think that he did a terrible job. I would say he probably led some kind of an effort. Uh, The words spying has been used. He probably was one of the people Mm -hmm. leading the effort on spying. So
5: it's a very serious charge to make.
3: I know. And we'll find out whether or not it Mm -hmm. was true. And I think it could very well be true. But we're going to find out pretty soon.
1: Somebody was leading the effort on spying because there was definitely spying. And somebody used to work for a spying agency. I feel like I should at least be able to define that. Uh, But what's with all the venom directed at Attorney General William Barr? Uh, We've got Kim Strassel joining us now. She is on the Wall Street Journal editorial board. She's got a great piece up with the journal right now. For fear of William Barr, the Attorney General gets attacked because his probe endangers many powerful people. Kim, great to have you back. But it's great to be here. Uh who is Bill Barr endangering? What's
5: gotten these folks
1: so on edge, Kim?
5: Well, it's it's clearly nothing to do with the Mueller report. Because if you watched that hearing on Wednesday in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, we barely talked about uh aspects of the Mueller report. A lot of it was just a, a back and forth uh over, you know, his original assessment of it. Um, And uh, I think that what's going on here is that instead they were focused and they heard him say during that hearing that he intends to take a very close look at everything that's happening in 2016. And a lot of people are at risk when he goes down that road uh, of what the FBI was up to, whether or not there was an actual predicate for the spying that went on. Um, whether or not they handled their sources the right way, whether or not they should have used that dossier, um, a lot of people have a lot of things at risk.
1: And the revelation this week about putting a—I I love the way that they described it. It was an FBI human investigator or something. It was a very yeah. specific terminology. We the New can't York Times use used. the word
5: "spy" anymore, but not now. Yeah, it's
1: never spying. It's never—it's—it's it's surreptitious surveillance that's just oh so on the straight and narrow. Uh, but that that the that Papadopoulos had someone who was essentially I mean, the way the way and we had George on the show last week for an hour, he said that she was, a, if not a what you would call a uh, a honeypot, something kind of close to it. Uh, he said that she was very clearly trying to entice him into giving certain information. Uh, that seems like very strange behavior for somebody who's working for the FBI and just trying to get. The lay of the land about whether there is a massive international conspiracy to throw an election i mean what did you make of that wall i mean of that uh new york times piece
5: well look i think the word that we're hearing more and more um that should alarm everybody and we don't know if it's true yet and i want to say that but you know the word we keep hearing now is entrapment and you know you 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 were in an agency that worked uh, there's always a fine line between trying to get people to give you information and then Somehow trying to trap them into saying something that can later be used against them. And I I know that I certainly have a lot of concerns about the way, for instance, the FBI ended up going and having their little chat with General Michael Flynn, um, not really making him aware of their purpose there. Um, not informing him that they'd already read a transcript of his conversation and essentially uh, not giving, not warning him that it's a crime to lie to them, not uh, having him with an attorney, it seems in retrospect, it was very much set up to be a process in which they caught him in a lie. Um, and I think, you know, we should be asking the same questions in terms of what has happened with Papadopoulos and some of the other people that the, quote, human intelligence or informants or whatever we want to call them these days we're doing with some of the other Trump campaign members, including page, including Sam Clovis, um, and how, how far back, by the way, they were interacting with these people. We also don't even have the answer to that question. Have we
1: ever gotten a satisfactory answer from anyone, Kim, about why it was that the, uh, Obama administration senior figures in this whole drama, Comey and, and others among them, uh, didn't think it was necessary or or sound practice to tell the Trump campaign? I mean, you know, George Papadopoulos wasn't running the show. No one thinks that George Papadopoulos was some huge deal in the Trump campaign. So unless they were acting under the assumption that we have no idea why they would be, that Papadopoulos with this whole Russia email hack that didn't happen, but that's the basis of their story, unless they believe that Trump or essentially somebody right in his inner circle directed papadopoulos to do this why not brief them why not tell the campaign you know you got a guy that's uh, doing some freelancing that could get you guys into trouble there's some russian penetration efforts
5: well you put your finger on a huge and important issue which is that the fbi's story has never added up right by its own words so comey has always been very careful to say Well, from the start, we were always looking at individuals associated with the Trump campaign, not the campaign itself. Well, you go and you look at the names of those individuals, and we know who some of them were. Carter Page, for instance, George Papadopoulos. Um, It wasn't until later Paul Manafort was brought on. But we know that they were on their radar screen very early on, okay, because uh, according to the House Intelligence memo that came up all the way back in spring, at some point, Comey briefed the National Security Council's principal members on concerns they had, at least with Carter Page. So if that's the case, and these folks have only just joined the campaign, and you're only looking at isolated folks, and a couple of them, as you mentioned, have no real authority, why would you not immediately go to the attorneys that were working at the the Trump campaign, former prosecutors like Rudy Giuliani or Chris Christie, and say, look, we know the Russians are attempting to infiltrate uh, our politics. Uh, You got a couple of guys here that we're concerned about. The only reason I can think of that they wouldn't do that, and you just mentioned it, is because they never were honest and they were always evaluating the entire Trump campaign from the start.
1: Kim, do you have a working theory about how how this this whole thing uh, that, that the the underlying foundational conspiracy theory about the Trump campaign working with Russia to subvert the election. I mean, that's which is what all this was about for two years. I know now we're supposed to parse obstruction that also didn't happen, but maybe theoretically could have happened if things had been different and they're very upset about this. But do you have a a working theory about, or, or even just some questions that if you get answers to, you think you'll know how this whole thing got started?
5: I don't know if we'll ever know exactly how it got started, because unfortunately, the FBI has been so cagey, and Also, because my working theory on how it got started has more to do with kind of, I think, feelings than it does with evidence. I, I, people get asked me all the time, do you think this was partisan? Right. And I don't in regard that I don't in in the technical term of that word right so when someone's partisan it means that they don't like a certain you know they they only like one party's or one candidate's views on things and I I do not believe that Jim Comey and Andy McCabe sat around and said we hate Republican tax policy and so we're going to try to take out the Republican nominee right but what I do think is It is impossible not to believe, especially given the incredible loathing that Jim Comey has expressed for Trump ever since he was fired. That didn't come about overnight. And I think that basically Jim Comey, all the way in the beginning, had a case of Trump derangement syndrome and he just couldn't stand this guy. And we know he was incredibly arrogant and we knew he was used to breaking all the rules and he figured he'd save the country from this. And that's how... You start out by looking at some individual members who had been on the FBI's radar screen in the past, like Carter Page, and then you go into a full blown counterintelligence investigation.
1: What about what's your take on Sally Yates in this whole thing? I, I've always been somebody who feels like she has she appeared at some very key moments and has had a very easy pass, certainly from the media. You know, her whole use of the Logan Act and this this, this pretense that that Flynn was gonna be blackmailable because he had lied to the vice president as though the Russians could say, give us all your secrets or else we'll tell the vice president you lied to him. And then a general of 30 years experience would say, oh yeah, I'll bend to the Russians on this because it's so scary to have lied to. It just, it it, it didn't make sense. The blackmail theory she had, the uh, Logan Act was, was clearly pretextual. I mean, that's laughable to anybody who takes any of this stuff uh, seriously. Um, what do you think about Yates and all of this? I, I have always felt like we're going to that, that at some point there'll be more that comes out on her. But maybe that's just my gut leading me uh further than it should.
5: So I think everything you need to know about Sally Yates as a bad actor, you can get by reviewing the way in which she was fired and that she was given an executive order by the president to do with uh, immigration and she refused to implement it. And that's not how you behave when you're uh you know an appointed member of the government working for the chief executive if you don't agree with an order you resign but you don't resist from your public office and that is essentially what she was doing with the Logan Act claims you brought up, that the, the spurious blackmail claims you brought up. She was undoubtedly integral in that FBI meeting I mentioned earlier in terms of entrapping General Flynn uh, in, a, in a lie question. Um, but I think if you go back, look, one of the big questions here that we're probably going to get some answers on from either Barr or from the Inspector General when he comes out with his report is to the extent that the White House and other senior people were involved in all of this from a political perspective from the start and, you know, look, Sally Yates has at the Department of Justice would have been more read in than most people and we have not really, you are correct, heard what decisions she was making along the way and the degree to which she was being notified and she was making calls and that's going to, I will not be surprised one bit if she's very central to this narrative by the end.
1: Kim, okay, before I let you go, what do you think Obama knew?
5: Well, look, you know, go back. I, I mentioned this meeting uh, that Jim Comey had with National Security Council principals um, all the way back in the spring. Well, one of those principals was Barack Obama. So is Joe Biden. I mean, basically what that means is that from the very start, Jim Comey had briefed The White House, the senior members there, that the FBI had eyes on Trump and Russia. And, you know, I find it very hard to believe that that, from that moment on that the Obama White House neither interacted with that anymore nor didn't pass that information on to yet other people. And I, I think that's a very concerning thing. Jim Comey likes to present himself as this guy who doesn't get engaged in politics, keeps his distance from presidents in the White House. That's that's clearly not the case. And it's it's another case of of Jim Comey playing rope-a-dope with the facts.
1: Kim Strassel, everybody, for Fear of William Barr's, her piece right now up in The Wall Street Journal, where she is on the editorial board. Kim, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to talk to you. Have a fantastic weekend. You too. Thanks, Buck. I mean, this is standard operating procedure for any FBI investigation. Undercover operations,
5: the use of informants, these are investigative tools that help the FBI go places that they cannot
0: go themselves. An FBI agent trying to get to the bottom of a string of bank robberies, for example, or a terrorist group, and yes, even a campaign for president that has you know these suspicious ties to a foreign adversary, an FBI agent can't just announce themselves and start asking questions. So you're going to use these tools that help, again, the FBI go where it can't go on its own. It's important. To point out and, and i've heard the president you know this morning he's already tweeting about it uh but he's calling this spying and his allies will say this is abuse these types of operations are highly scrutinized inside the justice department and there's oversight so you know this will be what we're going to see politics come out of this but it's important to keep that in mind these are tools the fbi uses every single day
3: okay let's
1: pull apart the nonsense here that's james comey's secretary former secretary or not really a secretary but he's like an errand boy for comey at the fbi senior supervisory something or other he's he's uh cnn's uh FBI pajama boy and you know he's there he's running interference for the narrative here right what's the narrative all well, the narrative is that it wasn't spying it was totally legit okay a few things here chief a few things here for my uh former national security colleague over at the uh the f the f b i mr T- uh, theo you needed a miracle i bring you the f b i uh That the FBI does something does not make it de facto justified. That the FBI uses its discretion to open an investigation in a certain way does not indicate that the investigation was properly handled. And people that keep saying there's a process, there's a process, there's a process fail to understand that we know there's a process. The problem is it was abused. The problem is that If you have people who are acting in bad faith for partisan reasons in places like the FBI, there is plenty of leeway, plenty of discretion to engage in underhanded, dirty politics. And that is quite obviously what went down here, my friends. Just a question of how much, where, when, who. We know it happened, though. And to say that there's oversight, no, there's not for counterintelligence investigations. That's why they ran this as a counterintelligence investigation. Why wasn't this done as a more standard criminal investigation? No, they wanted to keep it under the auspices of a counterintelligence investigation. That's why they went the FISA route because there they have a very different, essentially the standard for a counterintelligence investigation is whatever someone at the FBI Thinks is a national security concern worthy of a counterintelligence investigation. And it can all be kept secret. It all goes to the FISA court. And remember, if Hillary had won, we would never have found out about any of this. And that's just on the process side. When you add into it, this was a presidential campaign advisor. This was somebody, you know... We worry about. I mean, when I was in the NYPD and the Intel division, we used to have to justify any kind of surveillance or any collection that we had that that touched on anyone's First Amendment rights, because we're so concerned about the chilling effect. Right? And there's all this. Oh, we can't have law enforcement spying on people for their you know lawful religious assembly and all this. You know, there are all these hoops you have to jump through to protect people's civil rights. Apparently the FBI, if you run a counterintelligence investigation, you can do whatever you want. And you say, oh, yeah, I, I think this guy talked to a Chinese guy who might be a Chinese intelligence official or something. So I'm just going to download all of his emails and listen to all of his phone calls because uh, the FISA court's just going to rubber stamp whatever I say. What well, we see here is the abuse of FISA and the problem with FISA that some people have recognized all along. It's not just FISA, by the way. It's just the FBI counterintelligence process and the problem has been that it requires people to be acting in good faith you give people power in government you better hope that they're using it appropriately because otherwise well you see what happens they did not use it appropriately this was not done in good faith these are individuals we're talking about here who exploited their government authority for partisan gain um And you could say, well, Buck, they weren't necessarily Democrats. Yeah, but they're anti-Trump. There's an anti-Trump partisanship that's at at the heart of this. And they're also trying to desperately avoid the usage of the term spying because when it really hits home with people, spying on the Trump campaign, that is what happened, that is clearly nefarious. That does bring about a public understanding of just how severe a transgression this was. And Bill Barr is going to get to the bottom of this. Bill Barr is going to be the most important person that President Trump has ever appointed to any office. You watch and see.
5: A lot of the policies uh, that we have put in place has kind of helped lead um, the devastation in Venezuela. And we've sort of set the stage um, for where we are arriving today. Uh, This um, particular bullying and the use of of sanctions to um, eventually intervene and um, make regime change uh, really does not help the people of countries like Venezuela and it certainly does not help um, and it's not in the interest of the United States
4: the problems in Venezuela have been years in the making for uh, a member of Congress who frankly one who sits on a, an important national security committee to make a statement blaming America first in this way uh, it's not only ignorant it's disgusting Congresswoman doesn't know what she's talking about
2: Nicolas Maduro is a socialist dictator who's taken what was once one of the most prosperous nations in this hemisphere and and brought it literally to a level of deprivation and oppression and poverty that we have never seen nicolas maduro has no legitimate claim to power and nicolas maduro must go ilhan omar not making many friends among the uh, republican
1: establishment with her incredibly stupid comments blaming america blaming america first you see for for trump and and republicans America first means putting our interests first and taking a certain pride in this country and having that pride manifest itself in accepting that we are a unique people and have interests that are specific to us and we should not place the needs of the rest of the world ahead of ours. For the left, it's blame America first. It's find a way to look down on what we've done and and make, make everyone feel like Somehow we are the cause of so many of the problems in the world. You know, we are the ones that have, have created the circumstance of Venezuela's deprivation. The sanctions, you know, Ilhan Omar, she's on the Foreign Affairs Committee, folks. This is not like somebody that should be able to get away with saying stupid things about foreign policy without any refutation. Without being refuted? I think refutation is, did, did I just make a noun out of something? That, is that a word? Producer Mike, tell me if refutation is a word. If not, it should be. Or else I'll refute anyone who disagrees with me. Uh, but she, you know, she should be <laughs> repudiated. That's a fun word to use, too. What she's saying here is stupid. It's not just that I think it's wrong. It's, it's dumb. Because these sanctions until very recently on Venezuela were targeting individuals, which would not affect the broader economy, would not affect the ability of the Venezuelan People to get access to say, uh, you know, rice flour. Mike says it is a word. Thank you, producer Mike. There we. The, go. Uh, the act of refuting. Go figure. Something Refugee. such as an argument that refutes someone or something. There you go. I mean, Mike. What can I tell you, man? I got skills to pay them bills. So you know, this is this is what uh, what you see when you have someone who has been elevated by Democrats because of really largely because of identity politics, uh, As someone who should have a voice in foreign policy. They think because she fits into the following categories, Ilhan Omar, we should listen to what she says on foreign policy. Meanwhile, she's very ignorant on foreign policy. And clearly, not only does she not like Israel, you start to get the sense, how much does she really like America? You know, just, just let that one kind of, let that one marinate a little bit. How much do we think she really likes America? Uh, I think there are legitimate questions to ask about what she thinks of this country. And some of you are like, Buck, it's more than just questions about it. I think she probably thinks this place is terrible. But there are plenty of people that come here and want to enjoy the benefits of this country while also trying to tear it down from the inside. That's not unusual on the left. Many leftists do that. Uh, But Venezuela is a case study in a country doing what the left in this country would want it to do, which is redistribute wealth, massive state control over the economy, uh, social justice at the core of economic policy, uh, grievance collection over a long period of time that's used to justify the violation of individual rights at present because of alleged or real historical injustices. That's all that that's all stuff that Venezuela did. Class warfare. These are these are the ways that Venezuela became a country with an inflation rate that's so high i can't even remember what the number is anymore it's it's completely absurd and ilhan omar is running around saying that this is this is somehow our fault it's it's not our fault uh the the only question i have is does she know that you know is is she being dishonest or just being dumb it is tough it is often tough to tell with democrats i thought it was very interesting that this, this story that's out there i think it comes from pompeo directly that Maduro was going to go to Cuba, but then the Russian said, no, you got to stick it out. Huh? If that's true, then here we are backing, strongly backing a uh, an opposition figure to someone who is a, a Russian, really running a Russian client state. I mean the the Venezuelan regime under Maduro is, as we see from regimes in general that are despotisms or authoritarian, socialist hellholes they ally themselves with the worst countries all over the world that's definitely the case with venezuela but i just think it's noteworthy that we have yet again an instance of the trump administration squaring off against putin in a foreign country where I, i thought we were doing putin's bidding all the time well if we're doing putin's bidding why do we care why are we making life harder for maduro when the russians have clearly made his continuation in that role a foreign policy goal for themselves oh you mean you mean that's all just that's all a lie that trump's a russian asset oh yeah that's right not a not a surprise my friends uh i wanted to just switch gears for a moment here before that's a friday so we're covering a lot a lot of ground kids skipping school for any kind of protest i think is i'm not going to say it's a form of child abuse but it definitely really bothers me I think the politicization of children that goes on, is, and, and th- this is culturally and, and intellectually or ideologically, it is way more prevalent on the left. I know leftists who will say that, you know, 10-year-olds should be listened to on matters of national policy. I don't know how much crazier they think things can get than, than what they're advocating for. Um, but here's MSNBC celebrating kids getting pulled out of school for what, we, oh, not, not gun violence, uh, legislation issues this time, but for climate, climate change stuff. Wow. 19.
5: So Fridays for Future is this idea of students skipping school on Friday to essentially say, look, why do I need to go to school if I don't know what my future is going to look like based on the state of the planet? So that's what a bunch of these students have been doing for a long time. Actually, I'll introduce you to some right here. These are uh, they have been skipping school. This is Ella, Jaya and Pilar. Um, And so tell me first how old you guys are and tell me about skipping school and why and, and what that's all about. So
0: um, I've been skipping school for 11 weeks now, and it is a sacrifice that we have to make because we are missing important things, but we realize that if we don't skip this school, we might not have a future, so we need to. In the 2020 election, I'm scared for my future. I'm scared that the politicians won't won't be declaring a climate emergency, won't be taking climate action.
1: I mean, this is completely insane i think that that young girl said she skipped 11 weeks of class to be involved in protesting and activism and i i believe these kids are scared they don't know any better they've got adults telling them they might not have a future don't don't go to school kids protest climate change because you may not have a future they're telling them the world is going to end i'm not exaggerating that's what these kids are being told this is psychological child abuse against kids This is something that any adult should feel ashamed of. But, of course, MSNBC is celebrating this. Oh, they love kids involved in politics and the activism of children. Because children are inherently, when they become politicized, they are shielded by virtue of their expected ignorance. We expect kids not to know about this stuff. We expect children to say stupid things about politics. And so, therefore, it's mean when you tell them they're saying dumb things So they are messengers that are invulnerable at some level. That's why the left likes to use them so much. Also, they pull at your heartstrings because they're little kids. MSNBC just pulls at your brainstrings because they're a bunch of idiots. We'll be right back.
5: Okay, so Facebook is banning several far-right extremists from its services because it considers them dangerous. This includes the Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, right-wing conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, also banned Paul Nalen, an anti-Semite, who ran unsuccessfully for Congress along with fringe personalities, Milo Yannopoulos, Laura Loomer, and Paul Joseph Watson?
1: Right-wing Farrakhan? What? That's not correct. Well, the media was saying that all yesterday. And I said, "Hold on a second, guys. Uh, what is going on here? Media, uh, social. Well, media getting it wrong, and social media banning people." What do we uh, make of this, considering that they're banning them not for violations of specific conduct or codes of conduct, but just because they really, really don't like them and think they're bad? Our next uh, guest, Jesse Kelly, is a buddy of mine who has dealt with a little bit of social media censorship himself. He is, of course, the host of The Jesse Kelly Show on uh, KPRC down in Houston from 6 to 8 Eastern and does a whole bunch of other things. He's also... Nine feet tall, Jesse Kelly, great to have you back uh, tell me sir what, what what are you what's your reaction after yeah, some odious characters get banned, but I don't think anybody who knows anything believes that it's going to stop there
4: they they want to see what the reaction's going to be when they pick off the weak one who's sick in the back and and they want to see how the rest of the herd's going to react. I mean, I I hate to say things like we need to unite in defense of Louis Farrakhan, but we do. The truth of the matter is we do. It it doesn't matter that he's a scumbag. Let him speak. Let everybody speak and let, let the best ideas win.
1: I also think it's interesting that when it comes to social media censorship, you have the the left all of a sudden is oh but they're private companies they can do whatever they want the left wants to wants to uh, you know control what private companies do all the time they want to control what kind of toilet paper they have in the bathrooms what kind of light bulbs they have in the conference rooms they, I mean they want to tell them what what how much of their of their money they're able to keep and what kind of social justice programs they have to donate to oh but when it comes to free speech regulation or rather the regulation of of speech they're like well they're private companies they can they can do whatever they want to do and it's because i think they know jesse that they've got a big built-in advantage here silicon valley is very left and this is always going to cut against conservatives when there's discretion involved
4: always and because the left i mean leftism in general which should tell us where we should stand leftism in general is only about control they're only about victory you're right they want to tell employers what they have to pay their employees there's nothing the left doesn't want to dictate to private companies until they find out that between Facebook and Twitter, they, get, they have 2.5 billion users. And oh, by the way, we may be able to silence the people who disagree with us. That's music to a leftist's ears. I mean, and I don't want to make an absurd comparison here. But leftists throughout history, that is what they do. I mean, in the, in the most extreme examples, and this is certainly nothing like this, I mean, guys like Pol Pot and those guys, they, they rounded up everyone who disagreed with them and got rid of them. That is what it means to be a leftist, is to silence people who disagree with you.
1: You know, Jesse, I, I can't skip over some of the news of the week that I, I feel like you're going to have a, particular, a particularly uh, poignant perspective on. And you may have seen that there's some there's a bit of a dust up over pay disparity between men's and women's professional sports teams. Now, I I have to say, I know I know you're a WNBA season ticket holder and have been for many years. (laughs) But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the professional sports pay gap between men and
4: women. Well, look, I. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's fair to call the women's stuff professional. I mean, they play and somebody pays them. That doesn't mean it's professional to watch somebody plod up and down the court and shoot layoffs all night long. But they're never going to get paid equally because women's sports suck. They're virtually completely unwatchable. Even women don't like to watch women's sports. People watch sports in part because they want to see athletes doing things that they could never dream of doing and their wildest dreams. I want to see LeBron James at 900 pounds running up the floor at 80 miles an hour and dunking the ball so hard that my grandparents feel it. That's the what I want to see. That's basketball. I don't want to see crappy basketball. And women's basketball is boring and crappy, and so no one watches, and so they don't make any money.
1: Oh, I guess I guess you're not going to get season tickets for WNBA next year, Jesse Kelly. <laughs> I guess I, I, I guess you're deciding to pass on on that one but i mean i think some of the some of the controversies that we've seen this week are are almost you know tailor-made for jesse kelly commentary like for example we talked about the sports illustrated
4: burkini decision have you seen this i did i saw that and part of me just rolled my eyes at it it's such a stupid virtue signaling thing to do the entire purpose of the swimsuit issue so young men can look at scantily clad women. I mean, we don't have to sugarcoat this, and they've tried to make it more sporty and everything in the recent years and empowering the women. Keep serious. It's Playboy with a little bit more clothing on. It's something young men enjoy. Nobody wants to go see a woman dressed up in a full blanket laid out on the beach.
1: I never forget when they banned Maxim Magazine in my high school. You would get get, uh, in... In serious trouble if you went into high school with Maxim magazine, and then there was, of course, because we all know how black market economies work. Maxim magazines turn into like cigarettes in prison, you know.
4: <laughs> well, back in our day, but Maxim was the thing. Kids these days don't realize how good they have it. They have everything at the, at the touch of a button. You just pull out your phone if you want to see a beautiful woman. Back in the day, it took some effort.
1: Absolutely true, uh, J- Jesse. I also wanted to get your take on the uh, the latest Avengers movie.
4: Uh, it was, it was a good movie. I have two humongous problems with it. Humongous problems with it. One is the Hulk situation is so grossly unacceptable. So it's one thing to have him get beaten up and slapped around the entire last movie. But then you do your final end game movie you can't do a final Endgame movie and never give Avengers or comic book movie fans one single Hulk Rage Out moment. Not one. Instead, we have Nerd Hulk. That is, that is, that's a huge part of the franchise. Is Hulk losing his mind and ripping people's heads off. And we didn't get that, that once. And two, Fat Thor? I mean, it maybe for half the movie, if you want to do a comedic thing, ha, 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 that's kind of funny, he got fat... But then you need to have him snap out of that and be back to Thor. Part of the purpose of Thor is I get to watch him lightning bolt people and my wife gets to stare at him a little too hard. Yeah, There
1: you go, Jesse Kelly, folks. Political commentary, movie commentary. You can hear it all on KPRC Houston uh, from 6 to 8 Eastern on uh, Monday through Friday. Mr. Jesse Kelly of The Jesse Kelly Show, thank you for stopping by the hut. Always an honor.
4: Appreciate you, brother. We'll get a drink soon.
1: Sounds good. Team, we'll be right back.
4: Why why are you they attacked right? us fire. for we on public no, oh, okay? no, oh, line. Line. a public yeah, sidewalk.
3: Is that
5: okay? On the public sidewalk. You're not to be here, guys. You're not to hear here. To expose them. Why would they react that way? They can come to our
3: bar. We won't attack them. Let's go! Is that okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Take a
5: beer here. Come on! How's it feel? You are a fascist! You're fascist! You're all in.
1: Some May Day madness there, caught on video. We can only play the audio for you because, of course, this is radio. But at the end, you might have heard what sounded like the spraying of some kind of substance up close and personal to where the camera was recording that. And uh, we have joining us now somebody who can tell you exactly what happened. Uh, that was, in fact, a pepper spray assault. This is all happening in Portland on May Day and Running around the streets like the bunch of maniacs they are. Where are the Portland cops? And what was really going on here? We got our friend Andy No back in action. He is a freelance journalist who's been doing great work out on the West Coast covering Antifa and also uh, is a an editor at Quillette. Andy, great to have you back on the program.
0: It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: All right, Annie, tell, tell us, we got to play a little bit of the, of the audio from the street there. What was going on? Give us the backstory before you tell us about how you were attacked by Antifa. You were assaulted.
0: Several times, yes. So May Day uh, was the first of May, and in Portland, there was a series of events, and it was built as a celebration of, Diversity and workers' rights um, in reality, it was an antifa celebration of Marxism, communism and political violence. So uh, at first, there was an unlawful street protest against the local uh, ice office. And this um, protesters with antifa came massed up and blocked the streets, blocked traffic in a critical area near a hospital, and uh, they were stopped outside by federal police officers before they could go any further to the ICE building. And this location is the same building where last summer there was a five-week siege and occupation by the same people, the same group. uh, that, That... incident last year, I wrote about it for the Wall Street Journal at the time, the federal officers uh, the first day were trapped inside. All the exits were blocked off by angry uh, rioters, protesters, and they called for Portland police to help and Portland police denied their request. So they had to wait for federal officers to assemble to assist them. And then there was a five-week occupation around that property that became a uh, occupa- uh, became a biohazard. So, uh, Wait, can I just jump in real quick,
1: Andy? The the Immigrations yeah. and Customs Enforcement office called local police to help deal with the occupation, which was a kind of encampment meant to menace and block access to the Immigration and Customs Enforcement offices. And Portland police said, "Sorry, you're on your own."
0: They said, your request for assistance is denied. And then the Portland mayor, Ted Wheeler, who also doubles as police commissioner, put out a statement on Twitter saying that if they are asking for a bailout, they're not going to get it from the city. Wow. Okay. so obviously problems
1: with the Portland PD here, too. But so bring us up to then the the current situation that just happened uh, or rather the recent situation on May Day.
0: Yeah, so these masked individuals uh, hate me because of my coverage of what they do. And,
1: and I, they know you by sight now, don't they? I mean, I can hear it in some of the
4: audio. Uh,
0: unfortunately, they do. So they try to block me from recording and was just generally, be, generally being antagonistic. Um, but then my camera equipment was targeted. Uh, they sprayed it with filly string. And then after that, another masked individual punched me in the abdomen. Uh, this was completely unprovoked on my part. I immediately went to Portland police who were standing yards away to report it to the liaison officer on the scene to let him know what had happened. And uh, I pointed out this individual. Uh, this individual was masked. I don't know the identity, uh, but the person was was still there. And Portland police let me know that. There was nothing they could do at that moment because if they intervened, it would be, quote, unquote, an escalation. So nothing was done. Uh, so, so
1: you get attacked day, in front of cops and the cops say they can't do anything because to do anything to your attackers would be a, quote, escalation.
0: Exactly. Those were the same words that we used last year. And when the last time you interviewed me where I was surrounded and mobbed and my equipment was damaged. Same thing. The police that time were even standing closer, and it was also that uh, they could uh, incite the crowd if they escalated anything.
1: So then what happened?
0: So from the, Well, uh, later on that day, there was a May Day party being hosted by a local business called the Cider Riot. They were hosting an event with Rose City Antifa, and then there was a riot that happened there. I came there to document the event. There was a small group of right-wingers, Patriot prayers, conservative group, who came to just basically yell at them from across the street. But then their mace and pepper spray started spraying indiscriminately. Projectiles were being thrown. Uh, the cars in the area were damaged. And then I was singled out by a mouse individual he went up to me nearly a point blank and sprayed me with bear mace and I was blinded completely, had no idea what, what happened, who was around me. Somebody, I don't know who led me across the street. Um, and then, uh, I could hear the fighting happening across the street. It, it devolved into a, a brawl, fist fights, and, uh, weapons being used and no police were in sight at all. Um, and police arrived after everything was over. Uh, the ironic thing was, as this riot was happening Portland, police had issued a press release talking about how May Day was entirely peaceful because there were no arrests.
1: That's astonishing. So because they refused yes. to arrest people, then the narrative is, well, there were no arrests, so it was peaceful. <laughs> that's that's quite a way to exactly. to do your law enforcement.
0: Exactly, and I reported. Uh, I called police when I got home. Had a chance to bathe and shower, and the skin was. It, it felt like my my face, my ears, my arms. They were on fire. Bathing didn't really help. But I, I called police again. This time, I was adamant that an officer needed to come out and to take the report of the of this assault. And uh, an officer came, some first responders were called as well just to check out my skin if it was okay. And so that was reported. I got a case number. And then the next morning, the Portland police issued another press release saying that when they responded to the riot, uh, nobody was willing to file a police report and uh, that there was no, um, no reports of any assaults that had happened. Which was shocking to me because more than twelve hours earlier, I had reported uh, my assault, and so now, again, they were issuing another press release to the media, seemingly downplaying the violence by Antifa. So I hope that this is just a mistake or breakdown in communication somewhere, rather than a political move or something more ne- nefarious.
1: What do these Antifa maniacs in Portland? What do they want, Andy? What what are they doing? I mean, they just look like such a bunch of jackasses. I mean, I know they're dangerous and they attacked you and but what do they think they are they are accomplishing by doing this nonsense on the streets of Portland, Oregon?
0: They say that they are showing up in numbers to fight fascism and white supremacy. That's what they literally say. Their ideology is a mixture of uh Anarchism, communism, Marxism, some of them are really agitating for violent political revolution. Some of them are just like the opportunity to mask up in a gang, basically, and beating up people and getting away with it. Um, So... Again, we keep seeing over and over instances of anarchy in the streets of Portland where the police are not enforcing the law. And, you know, I, I'm very supportive of the institution of police. I know it's a, it's very hard to be an officer in the city. Um, I place the blame on the leadership. I think the, the mayor, who doubles as police commissioner, unfortunately, has politicized the Bureau to such a degree that... Uh, they're not enforcing the law equally.
1: That's for sure. Well, Andy, look, man, we always appreciate your reporting from out there on the front lines of the Antifa craziness. Uh, but uh, please, man, stay safe. I know you got assaulted a couple times this time. You know, we got to get you to get like a one of those disguises. You know, with the the glasses with the fake mustache or something. We got to get you safe.
0: Thank you. And and I'd just like to say um, f- for you listeners, please watch the video. The uh, the, the makes assault on me. If you have uh, any um, tips of who this person might be, please pass it on to me. My DMs are open on Twitter. I'm trying to identify this person who attacked
1: me. All right. Me. Yeah. Hey, guys, anybody out there? We do have actually some great listenership up in Oregon, too. So, guys, try to spread the word. And uh Andy No from uh, Quillette, and he's an independent journalist. Andy, thanks so much for your time, man. We'll talk to you again soon.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Team, we'll be right back.
2: And the Republicans look at the Trump White House and say, well, you know, know, the Russians probably did help them, you know, to whatever extent we may not yet know. So we're not going to go there. We're going to do what they tell us. So why should Russia have all the fun? And since Russia is clearly backing Republicans... Why don't we ask China to back us? I hereby tonight, ask China. That's right. And not only that, China, if you're listening, why don't you get Trump's tax returns?
1: Ha ha ha, Hillary. So, so droll, so funny. She's so incredibly hilarious. Uh, keep in mind that under the new rules, you have to remember this, Democrats have established a very important precedent here. Sore loser Hillary, I really won! Sore loser Hillary has established an important precedent. And that is that any foreign government that wants to throw us into some degree of political chaos can infiltrate social media under false identities it's using sock puppets and uh, different controlled accounts maybe hack into some low-level staffer or someone's you know, email account somewhere. All, all they have to do is involve themselves in our election, and they have, by that very act, created an opening for the losing political party to say the election was done under uh, a cloud. The election was illegitimate. Think about the power that they have now given to any foreign country. because of their completely exaggerated and hyperbolic view of Russian interference in the election, any government, any country that wants to create problems for us can just intentionally meddle, can intentionally have their and they'll just say that, oh, we didn't do it. it was some lone hackers, you know we didn't back them or whatever it is. It's very easy. This is not difficult stuff. I mean, setting up a phishing email scam. I mean, there are criminals who do this all over the world. But the 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 basic rule here still stands that they can they can have somebody do that, and then the other party, the party that loses, can say, "See, the they, they cheated. This election's illegitimate. This election does not count." So. That's a really powerful tool for political anarchy in this country. I mean, that's a, that's a really powerful tool to set the Democrats and Republicans at each other's throats going forward. And it's all because the Democrats, remember, Obama knew about Russian meddling, didn't do anything because he knew it wasn't that big a deal. It didn't really matter. right? It was really just what the Russians have always done, which is, you know, disinformatia. It's disinformation. It's meant to be create a little bit of strife and this this is just in their nature. I mean they they're bitter. I mean the Russian government, Putin, people work for him, they don't like that America talks badly about Putin and does all this democracy promotion stuff. But I mean from the Russian perspective, what they were doing was really the equivalent of a kind of an international relations prank. You know, they, they couldn't seriously have thought that they were going to change the outcome of the election and that that was never really the intention. The intention was just to sow chaos. But what better way to magnify whatever chaos they can sow than for one political party to say, yeah, that election, illegitimate. Shouldn't really count. And so when Hillary says going forward, oh, well, you know, the Chinese, maybe the Chinese will get Donald Trump's tax returns. I mean, I know that she's saying she's kidding, but if the Chinese want to, they could just have one of their military cyber units, or they could even create some degree of plausible deniability and have an information operation they could run it through North Korea. It Wouldn't be hard to do at all. What are we going to do to North Korea? More sanctions? You know, how much more sanctioning can we do? They run it through North Korea and they interfere in the election, and then they know that we're at each other's throats in this country about who really won the election. When their influence on it is basically non-existent. I mean, no person who saw a lock her up meme that was created by a Russian was like, you know what? Now I'm, going to, now I'm going to vote against Hillary. It's just not how this works. Uh, this is, I know I keep going to this, but this is like an eyedropper in the, you know, putting an eyedropper of water in the ocean and saying you're changing the temperature. I mean, not, you know, you have changed the composition of that ocean at some level. You've added water to the ocean, but does anyone think that it matters? The Russian interference, other than the disrespect that it shows from the Russian government for our processes, but that shouldn't be a surprise to us. The Russian interference from a, who votes for who perspective didn't matter, and the Democrats know this, but it's more fun for for them, and particularly for Hillary, to act like that's not the case. You know, H- Hillary's look; she's the ultimate sore loser. Huckabee Sanders responded to uh, Hillary's China comment, and uh, and here's what here's what she
5: said. The previous administration, where they actually didn't do anything to stop interference in the election, um, and I, I, honestly, I'm baffled by it, and it's truly a astonishing comments from Secretary. Is okay. Secretary-
1: pretty astonishing, isn't it? Now, I'm gonna I'm putting this idea out there right now, and you, you can tell you can tell me I'm crazy, and that's fine. But there is a school of thought. You gotta think outside the box for this one. There's a school of thought that in a very crowded, I mean, just comically crowded Democrat presidential primary, which is what we currently have. just hear just hear me out on this one, folks. hear me out on this one. In a very crowded field, doesn't the person with the highest name recognition and the most visible, you know resume and and just general political apparatus around them, become a more attractive candidate in many ways. If you were trying to think of a scenario where Hillary would at the last moment be the savior of the party, an incredibly fractured and nasty Democrat primary would be it. I'm not saying Hillary's running. I'm just saying if she was going to run, the circumstances for that are more favorable now than they would be if, say, you had a Uh, you know a three or four person race with one or two clear front runners so just putting that out there just putting that out there for a little, little food for thought as we go into our weekends
0: the show ain't over yet folks keeping it real
2: it's time for roll call
1: Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for roll call. And don't forget, team, today is, uh no, today's May 3rd. Why am I seeing all this stuff about uh, Cinco de Mayo, which is obviously the 5th of May? I was going to talk about Cinco, I guess because it's on the weekend. That's why people are talking about it today, but everybody's working for the weekend. Battle of Puebla is what Cinco de Mayo, not Mexican independence. Battle of Puebla, just as you're drinking your margaritas which i've got to say of the vice of the food vices out there margaritas are kind of high on my list they're, i know they're terrible for you i mean the way they make them with all the sugar and stuff they're terrible for you but they are delicious delicious i like the salt on the rim of the glass too the whole thing a little spice throw some jalapeños in there see si, señor uh, I do like margaritas. Only, only a like, you know, a good margarita's got like three hundred calories, maybe three fifty, something like that. It's not that bad. It's like you know, eating eating half a cheeseburger. Um, all right, let's get to uh, our roll call here. Oh wait, the other thing I want to say about the reason uh, Cinco de Mayo, and many of you make fun of me for saying Sanko because I had studied French, so it's Sank. It's not you know Cinco, but uh, Cinco de Mayo is. Uh, Some people say tied into America's success in the Civil War, believe it or not, because there was a plan from the emperor of France uh, at the time to send guns to the Confederacy once they had established the French colonization or the French control of the colony of, of Mexico. And uh, that was the plan. But because of the Battle of Puebla, that got delayed. And then eventually they ended up uh, chopping off that. And I don't, know if, I don't know if they chopped off his head. They might have hung him or shot him. But they killed the French emperor's puppet governor in, uh, in Mexico. And then the Mexican people took over. But tied into our Civil War a little bit is what I'm trying to tell you. At least that's what I read today. I don't know. I still haven't read the Shelby Foot Civil War series. So I need to do that. But I need to do about a bajillion other things, too. So uh, I'm a busy man. What can I tell you, team? But you're busy writing in with brilliant thoughts, incisive commentary, witticisms, shedding of light, that kind of stuff. Dwayne writes, women's World Cup might actually have a point. The women's U.S. team is infinitely more successful both on the field and generating uh, revenue than the men who are miserable. The women actually help support the men and are paid significantly less. Uh, Dwayne, I do not know if that is true, but if that is true, if your stats or rather your uh, your assertions are correct, uh, then yeah, I'm all look. I'm all for it. If the women's World Cup is uh, has bit, uh, bigger viewing, or rather, women's World Cup team has bigger viewing than the American uh, men's World Cup team then I think they should make more money. And maybe there is sexism at work there. But here's what I would say to you. Is it the case that the ratings are really higher for the women's World Cup team? I doubt that. Because even the men's, assuming they make it into the World Cup, they're playing against the best teams in the world. And the viewership is based not just on the team that, you know, the, the American team, but also the team they're playing so, for example, when the U.S. is in the World Cup and they play in the first round, a powerhouse like Germany or, or Brazil or uh, you're going to have the whole world watch that match, not just people that support the men's team. But I have to dig into this a little bit. And you seem more up on this than I am. I don't watch uh, much professional level soccer these days. Uh, so maybe maybe that is the case. I will say, though, that having watched some women's soccer, it's interesting, but. It's like watching a men's soccer match at about half speed. So if you prefer that, then that's great. Uh, Let's see. Kayla writes, clear and present danger or is it executive decision? Love the Jack Ryan reference. Love it. No, it was clear and present danger. So you got that one right. And there you go. Uh, Tom writes, Buck, my man, tech nine for workout music. Bring back Freestyle Friday with mini deep dives. P.S. Dubstep is just disco for the 90s. Love the show. Shields high. You know, you may be right about Dubstep is really just disco for the 90s. I, I'm I, I don't think dubstep is going to be something people look back or to listen to with any fondness. But sometimes it gets me a little fired up. You know, a little fired up for the gym. And I will check out Tech 9. I feel like the Tech 9. Firearm, You know, it used to be very much uh, kind of associated with uh, the 90s and gangbangers. Like, I got my Tech 9, you know, people would rap about it and stuff. But I haven't heard about the Tech 9 much anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure, uh, you know. I remember very distinctive design. It had the, I don't even know how you describe it, but there's kind of per, almost like these perforations along the barrel. Um, the Tech 9, I, I remember having a water gun that looked like a tech nine. I mean, you could never do this stuff anymore. Isn't it amazing how much even just children's toys have changed? I, I had for a while, a little, a little, uh, it was from Chinatown in, in New York city. And it, it was a black replica, essentially of a Glock that fired little white, little white pellets. And not, not very, not very powerfully. I mean, it wouldn't even hurt you if you shot somebody in the arm or something with it, but it looked like a I mean it looked like a glock unless you really got up close to it you could never have that stuff anymore you know what I mean you could never have these things it was just a toy it was a toy they're selling on the street you know the the, the toys yeah that it had like the red um uh, you know uh, on the muzzle it had a little red thing to show that it was but it looked real enough you would never have this stuff anymore. I mean now people think that uh, that you know super soakers were uh you know are, are too realistic <laughs> like super soaker has like a big neon green water tank on it i don't think anyone thinks that it's uh, but anything that's gun related it's very scary but you know they used to sell all these things you'd go walk on the streets in uh, in new york city in chinatown times square and they sold and when i say replicas they weren't they didn't look exactly like guns but the toys looked a lot more like guns when i was growing up. the toy guns did absolutely the case and uh, now, which I, I actually do think that there is some that's that can be kind of dangerous. I, I agree with the rules that have changed to some degree. But, uh, you know, if it's neon green, I don't think that anyone really has to worry about it. Uh, Adam writes, the quote is dumb and dumber shields high. All right, Adam. All right. You got it. That was Samsonite. I was way off. Um, Mary Swanson, Swami. I think dumb and dumber kind of holds up. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny. Uh, I think that that's... I, I did watch some of... There's something about Mary recently. It was on HBO or something. And I'm always amazed by how you could never, ever make that movie anymore. You just couldn't do it. You could never make that movie anymore. Um, you would get picketed. You'd get in so much trouble. I'm actually surprised that it, even, it hasn't kind of gotten the ban treatment from some places. All right. Let's see what we get here. Eric... Uh, writes, oh, some stuff that he doesn't want in the roll call. So, Eric, it won't be in the roll call because you asked for it not to be. And we, of course, respect your wishes. That is how we roll. Pete writes, Buck, I miss your history deep dives. OSS, shields high. Pete, I miss them too. Uh, there's a tremendous degree of effort that goes into it because I just used to do it on my own. And, uh, I, I would like to bring it back, but. You know, we have to find a way to make something of a business out of it. And unfortunately, because there's so many podcasts out there these days for podcast advertisers, you need to get to a certain critical mass of downloads before you can even get basic advertising going. And that's a long way of saying, you know, for the time in, the time out to do history deep dives. It's, it's a project of love, not a project of, of business, if you know what I mean. So to devote the time to it's a little bit harder Um, unless, you know, someone somewhere wanted to like sponsor a series of them. And just as a kind of prestige project, that's something we could do. But in terms of just churning them out, I mean, it it took me basically entire weekends just to do one of those things. It's a long process, believe it or not. But I don't want to end. I mean, someone pointed this out to me. I can't end on the fall of Constantinople and the Turks victory there. I mean, we got to at least get to, we got to get to the, Siege of Malta and some of the other stuff where, you know, team Christendom Western civilization actually wins, wins one. Uh, Chris writes, Buck, a few days ago, a roll call woman said she got confused while listening to the podcast because she heard a different show. Mystery solved your podcast host showcases other podcasts for 30 seconds at the beginning. For some podcasts, it seems like they just play the show instead of highlights. That's confusing, but with, but the dulcet tones of, of Buck are fighting through. Just warn audience a few times, like giving out new email. Eventually, people will know. Well, Chris, I didn't even know this, so thanks for telling me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, team, we'll hit a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, back into the roll call to close out the show. On you know, I always it's a little bittersweet. I know I say that to you, and sometimes I repeat myself a little bit about this, but it's a little bittersweet on Friday because while I'm excited for the weekend, I know I'm not going to get to do this show for two whole days, which can be can be kind of a bummer you know because i miss getting to hang out with all you guys sheldon writes hey buck love the show you are my favorite podcast bar none well, sheldon you have wonderful taste in podcasts just heard you talking about the tom clancy patriot games love the book the movie would have been better had the book not existed when the movie changed the terrorist victims from charles and diana to some no-name lord and lady, it just completely lost its impact for me. Just my two cents. By the way, no issues with the sound level on the podcast from iTunes. Sounds great to me. Shields high, Sheldon. You know, Sheldon, I didn't know. I, I never read Patriot Games, the or the book, so I didn't even know that that was the case. And I would agree with you that by making it some random members of the royal family, the target, it just it lacked impact. Uh, it did not really resonate, I think, especially with an American audience. We're like, okay, so this is like the the Lord of Chatherton or something. I mean, who knows, right? The third the third Lord of Chesterton and Worcestershire, you know? It, that doesn't really get anybody all that excited. That certainly didn't get me all that excited. Um, but Harrison Ford does, does a good job. And you got to remember, that's in the earlier days of of Edard Stark from Game of Thrones. That guy, I forget his, uh, Sean Bean, that's right. You killed my baby brother. You know, he's all upset about it and the whole thing. Or no, it's not his baby. No, it is his baby brother. That's right. And the, I mean, the guy's obviously in his 20s. Brandon right? hey, brother, Shields High. After listening to your yesterday's show, I figured I'd share this with you. My wife is a registered nurse and volunteers at this crisis pregnancy center. They're having a fundraiser. Here's the link. Please share it. This organization is exactly what we need to combat the abortion mills around the nation. Thank you for the sacrifices you make fighting for the republic. Airborne all the way, Brandon. Uh, Brandon, yeah, we will uh, we'll get the word out on Facebook for this one. This one, and you know, I've been a part of a uh, fundraisers in the past for a crisis pregnancy center in New York City called Avail uh, that is doing very very important work in a very liberal place, uh, just trying to help women who are who are scared, who are pregnant and scared, help them create a safe. And, and happy you know, pregnancy and environment for the baby. That's, what, that's all they do. It's very, very important work. So thank you for bringing this one to our attention. Carolyn writes, Hey, Buck, one thing keeps me wondering about the Steele dossier. If you read this buffoonishly absurd piece of trash, you can't help but wonder how Hillary's campaign paid good money for a piece of scatological tripe that looks like it was written by a fifth grader. No offense to fifth graders, but if I were Hillary, I'd want my millions of dollars back. You know, Carolyn, I've thought a lot about the dossier and, and all of the, the stuff that's in it and the fact that it seems so not credible on a first read. So why, why wouldn't they make it a little more, honestly, a little more believable, a little more credible? And I, I think that it's because it was always meant to be looming in the background and, and it really wasn't supposed to be something that people went public with in this way. It was supposed to color the thinking of the media behind the scenes and, and be something that was whispered about, but not presented for public view necessarily, uh, not presented because when it's in public view, then it receives public scrutiny. It's much more effective in a lot of ways for people in newsrooms that are anti-Trump across the country to say, oh, you know, there's that stuff. Oh, we can't even... We can't even print some of the stuff about Trump. And, you know, we can't prove it, but we think it's true, right? I mean, th- then it's, the material is not tested. The material is not vetted or verified, but it's still out there. It's it's like any other rumor, right? If somebody starts a terrible rumor about somebody, they generally don't want to, no one wants to stand up and explain to a room full of people what the rumor is. They just want to keep whispering it behind closed doors. And that's a way to, to undermine somebody and to bring bring down uh, the the confidence that somebody has um that's that's what i think the dossier was really about at least in the early stages and then when they realized how easily duped the media and the fbi could be then the people behind it uh, and involved in it were like well let's just take this thing all the way and they did al writes i saw a hillary is back uh post on some site this morning and thought of you hello your hillary impersonation is uh is so bad but i love it rock on brother al uh, I know it makes no sense. It sounds nothing like her, but that's the whole point. Uh, you know the the Clintons, uh, at least Chelsea and Bill. They're they're starting a podcast. You know, Bill's gonna have a podcast. It's gonna be called uh, how to how to get real close to ladies like Joe Biden, but not be quite as creepy as Joe Biden, or at least not get caught like he did. They're gonna have a podcast. All these people these days have podcasts. The thing about most people is like, just like with writing, you know, very few people really should try to write for a living. Very few people should try podcasting for a living. It's actually quite uh, difficult. Um, Stetson, cool name, writes, hey, Buck, I encourage you to read that New York Times article with progressive lenses. They're trying to whitewash Spygate by making it seem like it was justified and legit their careful use of "investigator" and in other terms, or their attempt to make it appear the intel agencies were justified in their infiltration of the Trump campaign—scary stuff. Shields high, and uh, Stetson, you are correct. Don writes in, "Hey Buck, great show, great beard, Don, great message." And we'll wrap it up there, team. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy your Cinco de Mayo. Uh, please drink responsibly. Uh, See si senor. Have a fantastic weekend. I will be talking to you all Monday, every day next week. As always, you have your mandate. You have your mission. Shields high.